Good morning. Thank you, Jeremy. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Tim's playing the drums this morning. <laughs> yeah, he called me this morning. He says, man, my voice, I'm losing my voice. Is it okay, Pastor, if Jeremy leads and I'll play the drums? I said, sure. <laughs> You're the expert, you know. <laughs> I trust his judgment. He, has, uh, he makes good decisions. Ah, timely truths, timely truths, timely truths. Today's timely truth is from Luke. Chapter 4, verse 23. Physician, heal yourself. That's it. Physician, heal yourself. The word physician comes from uh, the word to heal. So you could say, healer, heal yourself, which makes it even a little stronger. I think that's really sound advice in a way. I, I know that part of it has to do with the fact that it's hard for a doctor to perform surgery. I mean, if he's a surgeon, everything's so specialized now, but if he's able to apply the medicines that he would prescribe to you for himself, and of course, uh, it's only in the movies that I've seen someone operate on their self. So. But I do think that there's something very important and very valuable to try to operate on yourself. <laughs> because it seems to be that it comes naturally for us to try and operate on everybody else but ourselves. So, in other words, this is something that Jesus would endorse in a sense because when I look at the many things that are recorded that Jesus said, he would say, everything that you expect of others, expect of yourself. Right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. How about in Matthew 7, he says, the beginning verses, hey, why are you trying to get that splinter out of your neighbor or your brother or sister's eye when you've got this big old beam stuck in your own? Get that out first. I don't, I haven't played golf in quite a while now, but... I used to play a couple of times a week. Boy, I found it so relaxing to walk in the, on the course, chase that little white ball through the grass, see the woodpeckers and the geese. And it was very, you know, three, four hours after that, I just came, came home refreshed. <clears throat> a lot of people get very upset when they play golf because it's really a more difficult game than you can imagine, but, and that was my experience in the very beginning, but somebody gave me some very good advice. Just compete against yourself. 
In other words, every day, if you compete against yourself, if you try to outdo yourself today, you'll be a little bit better version of yourself tomorrow. And I really do think that if we focus on, God, how do you want to work in my life? What do you want me to see and do, think and say here, rather than worrying about what other people say, even when other people perhaps offend you or injure you, or they're wrong, even if they're altogether wrong. Why should their wrong justify me being wrong in attitude or reaction? My pastor used to say, act, don't react. And that that was such good advice. If you take it to heart. Do you know, by the way, you might find this interesting. Before I, my pastor had recommended that I, I seriously consider going and pastoring this small church in South San Francisco. Their pastor had died. They called my pastor he, their pastor had left instructions. He had been the pastor there 43 years, the only pastor they had ever known. But he said, if anything happens to me, call Bill Yeager, who was my pastor. <clears throat> so they did. And he evidently, without even conferring with me, recommended me. And so uh, I went over and, and, and checked that all out. But before I left, you know, I mean, I conferred with Shelley. We agreed. But before I left, he took me out to lunch at, um, shiver my timbers or it was some kind of a fish store, you know, little fast food fish place. I think we have one here. But it, what? I got to, you're all talking at once. Long John Silvers. He took me to Long John Silvers. That was my, that was my big send-off. I'm sending you to Timbuktu because I recommended you. And uh, so I want to take you out to lunch. And you know what he told me? He says, this is, where, this, this is where his parting words. He said, John, whatever you do, make sure it works. <laughs> Isn't that kind of like, duh? <laughs> but, you know, I take those things to heart, and you think them through, and you can always stretch them kind of like a saran wrap or something. You can just cover everything that you need to cover. And uh, sometimes the simplest things, it's don't let the simplicity of it, don't let how obvious it is deceive you into thinking that there isn't something very valuable there. And if you take it to heart and you begin to cultivate that truth so that it becomes yours. 
It's not somebody else's. Now it is yours, and you, you live it out with conviction. In fact, you can say it to somebody else because you have experience behind it. You have actually engaged in doing that in such a way that you realize, wow, there, there's really something here, and I'd like to pass it on to you. But Jesus uses the proverb here. Physician, heal you thyself or yourself. He uses that proverb here to characterize the skepticism of his hometown. They're gathered in the synagogue. They're, they're like us. They're, they've gathered to, they've come to the synagogue and Jesus stands up and asks for the scroll, the scroll of Isaiah. And he rolls through the scroll, and he comes to this passage in which we will read in just a second what God is going to be doing in the Messiah. And then he closes the scroll, and he sits down, and everybody's eyes are on him, and he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. And it starts to sink in, and they respond, it wasn't. And then somebody says, Isn't that Joseph's son? It's. Think about that. And Jesus said, I suppose you'll cite to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. Let's read it. Luke 4.23. And he said to them, Let me back up and pick up the scripture. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he, and he said to them, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. 
So the reception of Jesus starts favorably until one and then many. Luke makes it very clear that this thing kind of gets going. It wasn't just once, but it was said repeatedly. Isn't this Joseph's son? But it's Joseph's son, isn't it? And, and it's said, although we can't, you know, I can't see or, or read out of this anything that you can't, but I can, I can imagine something like a smirk, you know, a, a kind of a smug, so, I mean, hey, don't get too worked up about what he's, I mean, it's just Joseph's son. Kind of a knowing smile. Like, do I really need to take this that seriously? Or maybe a scoff. You think God's going to use a neighborhood boy to speak to us? Do you think, even though he's citing the prophet Isaiah, that this can be fulfilled in him? I mean, this kid that ran around the neighborhood that we watch grow up? You, you think God's going to do his next greatest and complete and final work in this kid? Or maybe, maybe a bit of rumor in, but it's Joseph's son. You know what they say about him. You've heard the gossip. You've heard what they've said about his dad, how he came about, that he's a mamzer, which is an Ill illegitimate child. See, everything changes with the words Joseph's son. Everything. And it's pivotal because it betrays their unbelief. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. I, I meant what I said about, you know, physician, heal thyself. Now, we can get something really good out of that if we practice it in our lives. But Jesus uses it to expose their unbelief, their skepticism, the fact that they aren't expecting God to be working in their midst. I think we can learn from that a lot. I think it can challenge us to realize God is at work all around us. And sometimes if we're just limited or kind of the ceiling is defined by human opinion or gossip or what we know about somebody or the familiar in other words, we're just so steeped in, in the humanity of life. And increasingly in our age, now that science has taken the place of God and the government has taken the place of God, then we tend to only see God, so to speak, in the gaps, which is the worst kind of God to have because then God just becomes an excuse for what we can't explain. That's entirely wrong. God is everywhere at once, involved at once. He's not squeezed out by what you can explain with your human understanding. Or as if you could get your brain around it, then somehow there's no place for God in it. 
And in the march and exaltation of man and mankind, humankind, we expect God to fit in to our understanding. Just think about that. There's no humility. God, make yourself completely fathomable and reasonable to me. Or I'll question, doubt. But a lot of those questions have to do with science and not the most fundamental and important things to life. And when I look at those, and I'm just sharing my own personal testimony, there's a lot of things I can't understand. But what I can understand, what really I found to to matter the most, is love and people. And God is all about love and people. All about redemption. All about second chances. All about hope and forgiveness. Where are you going to find that? No, really, I'm, I'm serious. This is not just a rhetorical question. It's actually a defense, in my opinion, of the fact that God is God. The God who is revealed in Scripture. The God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. Because you see, it is in this Bible that there's more about love, more about mercy, more about people more about forgiveness, more about second chances, more about new life than I have ever read in the totality of everything else I've read, let alone in one competing work, one rival, or one place where you could find such selfless pursuit of your importance to God. So the thing that so much impresses me here is that God is saying, it just, I mean, in Christ, Jesus, in effect, is saying these things to kind of spur these people to say, see God in what's happening right in your midst. It's not in Rome. It's not in Jerusalem. It's in me. It's in me right here. It's in your midst. And here in a sense, I mean, if you back up from it, that, you know, Jesus has begun his ministry, baptism, temptation. He enters the synagogue. He takes up the scroll. He says, the ministry's beginning. The age to come is dawned. Everything that was foretold in the scriptures that pointed to something you've all waited for has been fulfilled in your hearing in this reading in me. And they just, isn't this Joseph's son? Now I understand that. I'm not, I'm not so smug or prideful to think. In fact, I ask myself, would I have done any better? I think that's a question that we can ask 
and it can be very profitable to us because we can realize that God wants us to expect the unexpected. That God is a God of impossible things. I mean, in this Gospel of Luke, it begins with Mary and the Annunciation. It was an ordinary day. And then extraordinary things broke out in the privacy of her own life, in this little hovel that she called home. Not in Rome. Not through the emperor. Not through some king. Not in Jerusalem. In Nazareth. Even Nathaniel in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, remember that? Andrew and Peter meet Jesus. They are so excited. In fact, when they talk about him, it's, I mean, it's really over the top. I read it again this week, and I thought, wow, this is the one we've expected. He's the Messiah. And so Andrew goes to Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, you've got to meet Jesus. Uh, where is he from? Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth, he says? You can see how common and familiar this mindset is to us, isn't it? What, what, what would happen if we immediately turned our thoughts to God? I'm not saying you have to swallow everything or that you shouldn't evaluate whether it's the real deal. And of course, to know the real deal, then you've got to know the counterfeit. You've got to know the real deal. And that's, that's why we spend time in his word. That's why you read the gospel so that you can get to know the heart of Jesus. There's no revelation of God greater than Jesus Christ. He is the revelation of God. The fullest Complete revelation of God to us. And so we need to know Jesus. We need to see how he treats people. We need to see and understand what he cares about. We need to love what he loves. We need to have compassion upon what he has compassion on. so that it can check our biases and prejudices and those things, those opinions that we've grown up with. Opinions from mom and dad, opinions from friends, opinions from contemporary society that comes all sparkly and glittery and packaged like a present. But when you open it, it's just the same old stuff the stuff that doesn't satisfy, the stuff that fills your life with more stuff but doesn't speak to your need for love, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, goodness, and above all, a God who loves you, who says nothing can shake my love for you. In Jesus Christ, I have demonstrated that. We sang it this morning. What were the words? And and I wrote this down. I didn't want to write it down while we were singing. Because I like to worship too. 
You know, you've got to be fully engaged. You can't be writing if you're worshiping God. On the cross of Jesus Christ, something through, with the cross of, through the cross of Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ is the reason I'm alive. That is so true of me. I believe that. I, I know that. His blood was shed for me. It will never lose its power over me. I don't think I have that word perfect, but you get the idea. That has to be the testimony of your heart. If you're ever to rise above the opinions that often thwart our belief in God. Can you advance that for me, please? Hold your faith in God higher than human opinion. Hold your faith in God higher than human opinion. Again? Higher than opinions of you. What happens so often the opinions of others kind of set the boundaries or determine how we see ourselves. Higher than the opinions of you and higher than the opinions of your past. I mean, all of these things were at play in the synagogue. And not only higher opinions of your past, human opinions of your past, but higher opinions of your, higher than the opinions of your potential. Hold your faith in God higher than human opinion. Let God's opinion his opinion of you. What you might, if you're asking this morning, what is God's opinion of me? Well, his opinion of you is that you are worth his one and only son. He has, in effect, said, you are of such great value to me that my son is going to die so that there will be no sin against you and that you can stand fully convinced with never a doubt again that I love you and nothing can come between us because I've, prayed, play, I've paid the ultimate price for you. Any debt that you think you own to my holiness has been paid once and for all. But how many of us struggle with sin and failure? How many of us are burdened by guilt because we've let God down? And so what happens is we withdraw and we let that eat at us. And it, it's like a, 
Well, it's like, like eating a bad burrito. You don't leave the house. You just won't get very far. But what if God said, you have the medicine already. It's in your cabinet. Just, just go to the medicine cabinet. And there it is, right on the shelf, once and for all. Just take a swig of God's forgiveness and know that immediate relief. And I mean, feel it. Let yourself feel the joy and the peace and the ability to just shake off that guilt. And you know, this could be true of, sometimes the guilt isn't even guilt before God. It's just our false guilt, which I call the guilties. You know, it's the guilt that comes from mom or dad or from teacher or employer. It may not even be from God's Word, but it's all part of the way that opinions can control our spiritual life. I've shared with you in the past, uh, Jared, I was sharing a little bit about this passage, and he said, oh, you should share this, and I will, because it's football season, and I like football. I like college and NFL ball. I was too small to play college football or professional football, It wasn't until just a couple of years ago that I realized uh, I couldn't grow up and be a football player. (laughs) But I imagine just, this is very real to me because I've seen this happen watching football over the years. Uh, Living in the barrier in the 80s when the 49ers got four championships and then a fifth in 94. But I, those times when you're, the clock is down to just a few seconds and everything depends, you've got to move it down the field. And imagine a tackle. That's the guy who blocks just to the right, uh, two to the right of center. And he misses his block and they sack the quarterback for a big loss and loss of time and loss of yardage. And I'm that tackle and I feel so bad I mean, it was the last thing I wanted to happen, but I feel so bad that I run off the field and I take a place way down on the end of the bench. And I've got my head in my hands and my helmet off my head. And the coach sees that there's only 10 men on the field. He's, who's missing there? Number zero, zero. Venema. Where's Venema? And somebody says, well, coach, he's down there on the bench. And coach looks down there. He sees me. I've got my head buried in my hands. I'm just a sad sack, you know. Poor me. What have I done? I'm such a failure. What a jerk. And the coach comes up here and shakes me. He says, Venema, get back in the game. We need you in there. What are you doing here moping on the bench? Now, I don't know if this illustration works for you, but for me, that's why Jesus died for me. That I would stay on the field. 
Because when we take ourselves out of the game because of guilt, God can't use us. In fact, we draw attention to the victory of Satan, the accuser, the raiser of doubt, the one who wants to see us on the bench, feeling badly about ourselves, and yet Jesus wants us in the game. He wants us exercising his power through his spirit. He wants us encouraging people, breathing courage into people around us because we ourselves know that courage. And we have that courage because of Jesus Christ, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his goodness, his faithfulness, his self-control, all the fruit of the presence of his Spirit. So yes, higher than opinions that people have of me, people have of you. Higher than opinions that people have of your past, what they may think about you. And higher than opinions, human opinions, that people have of your potential. When I was in school as a kid, I was considered an underachiever. He is not performing up to his potential. You may not know what my past is like. I, uh, I grew up in a home with a Christian mom. She loved the Lord. In fact, it was her beautiful testimony to Christ in the midst of all of the difficulties of life. When my dad chose to divorce her, I came home that night sloppy drunk, snuck into the house, and there was my mom in the dark in tears waiting for me. And I didn't want her to get too close. I didn't want to get busted, which I had no idea what the depths of her heartache were. She said, your dad, through the tears, through the trembling voice, your dad says he doesn't love me anymore. You know, I think that's my, I often say I, I lead a life without regret. But that's my one regret. My mom was always there for me and I wasn't there for her in the darkest hour of her life. And I said, well, Mom, it'll look better in the morning. And I slipped by her and snuck into my room. And then later, within a year, she was diagnosed with brain cancer and saw her all through that. But it was in those circumstances that I saw the authenticity of genuine faith of someone who really knows Jesus Christ, not just in the good times, not in the comfortable, comfortable circumstances, but in the depths, the depths of difficulty. And I said, that's what I want. I want that reality. 
when I'd find her, you know, the door would be cracked and I'd see her on her knees praying, praying for other people. Amazing. I still have her prayer book. Praying for me, praying for my friends, praying for the littlest things and not just the big things. So she saw me come to believe in the Lord. But I could never tell her all the stuff, the drug abuse. Some of you don't know, I used to have an earring, long hair, beard. And there are things that nobody knows. And yet I sing that song with you. That he has saved my life. And the power of his blood in the cross. That is the greatest power of life to me. And it can be for you. Each and every day. So, may we hold his opinion higher than all other opinions. And with that, may we expect God in the craziest of places, starting with our own life, our own circumstances, this day and this week. And may we think first of him and trust him just as we did when we said yes to him in our life, let's trust him in these present circumstances, realizing that God is at crazy work in ways we can't imagine. So let's expect that. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray and dismiss us, but I want to remind you that when I say amen, I'm going to be up here along with the rest of uh, leadership that are in this service, that involves our deacons, elders, other pastoral staff, their spouses. So if you'd like to pray this morning and you'd like to pray with someone, and whatever it is, we'll be here to pray with you. Maybe it's to say, I, you know, I want to move beyond just thinking about Jesus to trusting Jesus. If that's your prayer this morning, let us pray with you. Maybe it's to intercede for someone else or to ask God or surrender to God in some area of your life that uh, you just you need to trust him because you're mucking it up yourself. Whatever it is, you can come. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son your spirit, your big, big family. We love you. In Jesus' name, we praise you. And all of God's people said, God bless you.